Welcome. Good to see you all, all that you are online, man. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning, whether it's live or later on. We love you. Hope you're doing well. And of course, everybody that's here, so glad that you're here with us this morning. We're going to go ahead and jump into the message. We're going to be finishing up uh, our series entitled Full of Grace and Truth. Uh, we're going to be starting a brand new series next week that I'll tell you about probably on our emails. Listen, if you are not getting our emails, I send out an email pretty much every single day, uh, kind of with a little devotional uh, and some notes and or, or some, some things that are coming up. If you're not on our email list and you would like to be, please let me know. Uh, we'll get your email on there and and I'll bother you every day with a little something uh, that I feel like God's placed on my heart. Um, but it also kind of keeps you a little more up to date with what's going on, especially during this time. You also can jump on our Instagram page or Facebook or, or, or our, um, our website, whatever you want to do as far as that goes. But uh, again, we want to make sure that you know about that. So we'll talk about that kind of in this coming week. I'll kind of let you know a little bit more about it. But again, we're going to finish up our series on full of grace and truth. Our kind of main scripture that we've been using this through this series has been John 1.14. So we're going to go through it one more time because that's just what we do. It's the, the word became flesh, the word here meaning Jesus, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Once again, we've been talking about this idea that Jesus was 100% grace, 100% truth. A lot of times we are not that way. We kind of fall to one side or the other. Some of us are really good at the truth aspect. Some of us are really good at the grace aspect. But Christ has called us not to be or people, but and people, to be full of grace and truth. And what we've been talking about, what that really means, is we need to stand firm on God's truth, and we need to freely give God's grace. Stand firm on God's truth and stand fr and freely give God's grace. Now last week we talked about the standing firm on God's truth. Today we're going to kind of close it out by talking about this idea of freely giving God's grace as, as shown really through giving out love. Because a lot of ways, you know, when you say, how do I supposed to give out grace? If you're giving out grace, it really comes from, and it should obviously come from a heart of love. And, and that's a very important thing is that we don't just give out grace to give out grace. It comes from the heart of love. That's because that's what Jesus did for us. That's what God has done for us. God so loved the world that he gave. Grace came from love. It came from an expression of love. And so if we're giving out grace but without love, we're going to find in a little bit why that's a little bit of a problem. So we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 16. We went over this verse last week as we kind of bring this all to a close. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 13 and 14, it says this, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. That's what we talked about kind of last week. Be courageous, be strong. And then Paul finishes with chapter, uh, verse 14. He says, and do everything in love. Do everything in in love. If I was really mean and one of those pastors that would have you repeat a word out loud, and I wouldn't do that because I know you just stare at me, okay? I know that won't work, okay? But if I did, I'd have you say the word everything, okay? I remember when I was a kid and I was in high school, and I've talked about this before, where you're like on a, on a, a true or false test, and there was always these clues that you had to watch out for, you know, when it, and it was like everything, always. Those were words that kind of usually would indicate that the statement was not true, was false. But I love in scripture, we get these statements firm and in our face in a lot of ways. It's everything, 
always. These words are important that we catch because a lot of times we want to give love on our terms. We want to give love out to the people we want to give it out to. And Christ doesn't say that. He says you need to be giving love to everyone and everything in every situation, which is extremely difficult. So this morning we're going to go back to Daniel. We've been kind of doing a, a study of the book of Daniel and kind of looking there and getting some clues because as we talked about in the past, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken away from their home. They were brought to a foreign land and they had to have this situation where now they had to stand firm but also love well in Babylon in a place that was anti what they believed, anti their God, anti their belief system. And basically we find ourselves in our culture today in a lot of ways facing the same issues that they did facing the same issues that they did now we've tried to stay away from some of the more popular stories and things like that and we're actually going to be in Daniel chapter 6 and here's the thing about Daniel chapter 6 Daniel 6 leads to a very popular story that y'all know okay Daniel 6 eventually leads to Daniel in the lion's den but before, we, we're not going to get into that today. We're going to stay in the beginning because I think there's some good truth that we can look at that kind of almost led Daniel to the lion's den, led uh, God to do something absolutely incredible that we still talk about today. But we're going to be in Daniel 6. We're going to start with verse number 1, and this is what it says. Now, it pleased Darius. Now, let me stop there for just a second, okay, just so we all know where we're at. Okay? At this point, there's a new king. He is not a Babylonian king. Okay? That's a whole other story and a whole other situation. So Darius is the new king. I don't want to get into it, but just so you know what we're dealing with. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, which is basically kind of like um, governors or, or, or basically officials and, and so on and so forth, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Okay, the satraps were made accountable to them so the king might not suffer loss. So let's stop here and let's talk about where we're at. Basically, what's happening is the king decided, hey, the kingdom needs to be run a little bit better. It needs to be run a little more efficiently. And so he basically puts 120 of these guys that are in charge and then above them, one of the, they have, he has three that basically report directly to the king. And one of those guys is Daniel. Okay. Which is interesting because he's a foreigner. He's a slave in a lot of ways. But because of all the things that we kind of talked about before, God has elevated him to a great, amazing place. So now he is basically in that situation. Now let's continue with verse number three. It says this, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his ex, expect, uh, excuse me, exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now hold on. Monica, leave it up there for me, okay? If you have an old-fashioned Bible, okay? I know that's strange. But you have one of those old-fashioned ones. Or if you have your, your phone, I think you can highlight with the Bible app. I want you to do me a favor. Highlight the word or circle the word or underline the word distinguished. Distinguished, okay? Daniel here distinguishes himself. Now, we have to remember where he is, what he's experiencing, the place that he is. But we see that Daniel so distinguished himself that the king is planning to set him over the whole kingdom. So what this is meaning is not only is Daniel one of the three, he's going to be 
the top of the three under the king. If this will make sense to us, he's going to be the vice president of the entire empire. Why? Why does a king do this? Look, he distinguishes himself by his exceptional qualities. His exceptional qualities. And we get a little bit more deeper in this as we continue. Let's look at Daniel 6, 4. It says, at this, okay, the administrators and the satraps try to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. This is important, especially, let's just be honest, in the world we live in today, okay? They could find no corruption in him because he was, he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So we hear it in three, we hear this idea of the qualities that Daniel distinguishes himself as. And now we begin to see what these qualities are. Really, what are we seeing here? What are we actually seeing? I know what we have some specifics here, but we're seeing Daniel distinguish himself by his conduct. We're seeing Daniel distinguish himself by the way he is acting, by the way he is holding himself up to a standard. Where does that standard? That standard is not the Persian or the Babylonian idea of the standard. Because that standard, let's be honest with you, was not very high of that day. His standard was God's word. His standard was the truth that he stood on. You see, here's the thing we have to understand. All of these things, and you're going to continue to see it, hopefully you saw it through this entire series, was the idea that grace and truth, they go hand in hand. Love and truth, they go hand in hand. They work together, and God uses them together to do amazing things in us and through us. And it's an amazing thing. So the question again, as we get into our notes, in our world today, how do we distinguish ourselves? How do we distinguish ourselves? How, in a lot of ways, we see scripture talk about the idea of light and dark. How are we a brighter light, especially when the world seems to be getting darker and darker and darker? Let's look at Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, says, this is what it says. The only thing, so notice again, this idea of of only, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, let me give you a little context so we understand this scripture, okay? Because unfortunately, I've seen people take the scripture out of context, okay? So we need to understand, Paul, as he's writing the church in, uh, the church in Galatia, is, is having this conversation. He has already covered, now you need to check this out, he's already covered salvation. Okay? Do you understand that? Okay? This is not, we're saved later. Salvation comes first, it comes through grace, it's not because of what we've done, it's because of what Christ has done for us. So he is, in the context of this, he's already covered that point, and so now he's moving past that. He's basically saying, if you're saved, if you know Jesus, if you've experienced the salvation and the cleansing work of him, then the only thing that counts is faith being expressed through love. And this is a very, very important understanding that we have. Let's look at some scriptures that Jesus used and Jesus talked about. Let's look at John 13. In John 13, we see something very interesting. Because Jesus is talking, and this is what he says. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. 
So you must love one another. By this, everyone, once again, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you, and now we have a blank, love one another. Now I want you to stop, because I know some of us heard this verse before, but I wanted to listen. Listen what was left out. Okay, you ready? Let's, let's, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you have a really, really large church. It's not there. If you have the best pastor ever, it's not there. If you are so mature, it's not there. Jesus doesn't say all the things, quite honestly, that a lot of times we attribute to how we're going to show people that we are Christ's disciples. It doesn't say you're able to win a debate. It doesn't say you're able to be right all the time. It simply says people will know. Everyone will know because of the love we share and the way that we treat one another. You know, sometimes, I'll be honest with you, we, we just love to complicate this, don't we? We love to figure out how hard we can make this. You know, I think, I'll tell you why I think that is. And this is kind of a sad state of affairs when it comes to the human race, okay? This is so hard, and we don't want to ask Jesus to help, so we'd rather spend our time doing other busy work instead of just learning how to love one another better. If we want to distinguish ourselves, if, listen, here's, here's what I truly believe about this place and this church. And, I, and, I, and, and listen, if, you, if you, you need to believe this too, okay? okay? The best is yet to come, okay? I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what God has. I wish I could, I, I, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if I could basically say, here's the next 20 years, folks. I can't. I just know that I believe God and I believe his word and I believe his truth that, that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And if we want to be known, if we want this church to be known, it's not going to be to come up with some great, unbelievable marketing plan. It's not going to be to do this. It is going to be because this church loves one another. It's going to be because we love those that are not in here. It's going to be an amazing thing. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, 43, this is what it says. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay? But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, now this is important. Okay? We love, listen here, we love verse 43 and 44. We know that. We sometimes forget 45a. And they go together. Jesus didn't talk, 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 talk. Three weeks later, came back. He is a continuing his thought. He's continuing his teaching. And he says this. He says, in that way, basically, when you love your neighbor, when you even love your enemies, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. You will be acting. Listen, we, we love, oh, I want to be like Jesus. I want to do these things. I, listen. You want to be like Jesus? You want to act like Jesus? This is a perfect example and a perfect application of how to do that. But listen, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I become, I have a question in my mind. Because, I mean, I, I want to know this, and I think it's important that we catch this. And this is in your notes. The question is, who's my enemy? 
I mean, it was easy back then. You get what I'm saying? It was easy for the Jewish people. They knew who their enemy was. I remember, and this is going to be funny, and some of you are going to remember this. I remember when I was in, in elementary school, okay, and, and in America, and you guys kind of go with me on this, okay, and so I was, I was growing up in the, you know, early 80s, mid-80s. You know, we knew who our enemy was back then. You know how I knew that, okay? We would go to, basically it's Chuck E. Cheese's now, it was Showbiz Pizza back then, okay? And we would go there. And you know what we would do? We would go and they had all the games, they had skee-ball, and they had this one game, it was the greatest game ever. It was a hockey game. And it had a dome, a plastic dome in there, and had little guys that you would turn, and they had a hockey stick, and a little puck would, would fly out, and all these sort of things. And guess who was playing one another? A team in red, white, and blue, and a team in red. And you know what? When you started the game, they played the national anthem. You get what I'm saying here? And here's how this worked. I am the older brother, so I was the United States of America. My little brother, he was the Russians. You know what I mean? Poor guy. We kind of almost had more of an enemy. It's tougher today. Who's our enemy? Who's our enemy? And I, I, oh, well, this person, and we can get all political. I'm not asking you to do that. But in our lives, who's our enemy? I would say probably our enemy is anybody in our world that we strongly disagree with, unfortunately. We, we've kind of gotten to this place where as a society, it's, it's, a dissenting view is not usually a good thing. And here's the thing. And we talked about this in the very first week. It's not about being right. It's about being effective. And some of us get so wrapped up in being right that we forget what our mission is. And our mission isn't to be right. Our mission is to help people find and follow and experience and discover Jesus. That's our mission. That's what God's called us to do. And so even our enemies, even, listen, that person at work, you know what I mean, that just grinds your gears, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's just, ugh. Sometimes, you know, and it sounds weird, but those are the type of people that Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you can love the people that are easy to love. You can love the people that, that basically act like you and believe in the same things you do, but I'm calling you to a higher standard. I'm calling you to a higher level. You want to distinguish yourself? Listen, anybody can love those that love them. You want to distinguish yourself? It means that you're going to have to find those enemies in your life and love them care for them. Do something kind for them. Is that easy? Nope. That's why we need Jesus. It's in your notes. We are supposed to distinguish ourselves by the way we give grace and love, and there it is again, to everyone. 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 So, we're going to ask you a question because I think we're gonna, I want to look at this a little bit differently because I know this is a verse or section of scripture that a lot of us know but I want to look at it differently because here's the thing is you look in your notes number two is what if I do not have love okay we, 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 we talk about it almost like well of course I have love I'm a Christian of course I have love God is love I need to be loved but you know what we don't always and so I want to look at it slightly differently I want to look at it what if we don't what if we don't have love? And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard 1 Corinthians 13. 
Now, you usually hear a little bit later than what we're going to talk about, and we'll, we'll get there, okay? But before we get there, Paul, as he's writing to this church, begins to share some things that sometimes we miss as Christians because, unfortunately, we just make the assumption that we're really good at loving. We think that we're great at lovers. We're, we're great lovers. Oh, we're good. Well, I love all these people. I love all these. And then, but you know what? Sometimes our actions don't necessarily show that love. And so I want to flip the coin over, and I want to look at it, what it looks like if we don't. Okay, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Paul is speaking. If I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I don't have love. Listen to what he's saying here. He's basically saying, if I speak with such eloquence, if I say literally heaven-type things, but I don't have love. Watch out, Phoebe, I'm coming for you. <laughs> you know, I think one of the greatest fears of parents is that their children will grow up to be drummers. <laughs> Sorry, Phoebe. And you're a great drummer, and we appreciate you. You do an awesome job. You are so much better than all that. You know what I'm saying? So, without love, you know, here, can I, can I just be honest with you? And this is kind of an easier one is to kind of get into this. I think the world is so, th this is what they're hearing from the church. It's what they're hearing. What does that mean? All I say is ineffective. All I say is ineffective. If I speak with all these amazing things, if I say all the right things, but I don't have love, I'm just noise. And I don't know about you, I was getting annoyed as I was doing that. I'm sure you were getting very annoyed. All I say is ineffective. Look at Ephesians 4.15. In Ephesians 4.15 it says this, Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Listen, you want to be more like Jesus? You speak the truth in love. It's amazing as we break these things down, how many scriptures, how many examples we see this concept of full of grace and full of truth. Let's look at Ephesians 4.29. In Ephesians 4.25 it says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk, any unwholesome talk, come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building of others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay, I'm going to be mean. Okay, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be mean. And this is not just out here. This is definitely coming in here. 
do we do that? How are our words? They're powerful. They're strong. How are our words? How do we say these things? And do we understand that what we're saying can bring death or bring life? It can bring curses or life. Next, let's continue on. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. Paul continues. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, we'll stop there. If I can do all those things, but I don't have love, check this out, all I know is insignificant. All I know is insignificant. Listen to what he says. Gift of prophecy. The ability to have God speak and you listen and you speak it out. Knowledge, mysteries, all these things. And Paul's basically saying, you know what? Without love, it's insignificant. It's insignificant. 1 Corinthians 13, 2b. Let's continue on. If I have faith that can move mountains. Remember the scripture where Jesus said you have the faith of a mustard seed? Okay? Listen, I take the Bible literally. Okay? Because I believe God is God and God can do whatever. And if God says you have enough faith where you look at that, we have mountains here, don't we? Beautiful, awesome mountains. And Paul is sitting here, listen, if you have the ability, you have the faith to look at that mountain and say, move. And the thing literally goes, whoop, zoop. And you don't have love? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Listen, all I believe is insufficient. This is some powerful stuff, folks. And look, I know that we know these verses, but we need to look at them a little bit deeper because Christ here is trying to get us to see something massively big. Massively big. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. Let's continue on. If I give all I possess to the poor. All. Listen, this isn't, this isn't our tithe. This isn't our 10% that God says is his that we give. This isn't even an, uh, more than, this is an offering, and this is even more than an offering. This is everything. Imagine taking everything you own, everything in your bank account, everything in your savings account, everything in your, your retirement, everything you own, and taking it and just saying, here. You give it all. You, you have nothing left. But you don't have love. All I give is incomplete. Listen, and I, I want to talk to parents and grandparents and people that one day may be parents or grandparents. You know what your kids need? They need your love. They don't need another thing. Things are nice. Things are fun. I like getting things. I love giving things. But listen, you could give your kids the moon, the stars, and the sun. And if you don't give them love, they will be incomplete as people. Grandparents, I know it's easy. I know you want to give, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen, you know what those grandkids need? They need your love. They need your love. So even if we give it all without love, what we give is incomplete. 1 Corinthians 13, 3b. 3b, let's continue on. If I give over my body to hardship, then I may boast, but I do not have love. I gain nothing. I gain nothing. What's that mean? All I accomplish is inadequate. All I accomplish 
is inadequate. All I build, all I work towards, all that I do. Listen, hear me here. Hear my heart, okay? I want this church to grow. I want its influence to grow. I want this place to be a beacon for lost people in this community and in this state. But I want to do it the right way. I want to build it on a foundation of love. I want to build it on a foundation that says, you know what? We could do all that, but if we don't share Christ's love, it is inadequate. It's not enough. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, it says this. It says, if anyone builds, okay, that idea of, of accomplishment, that idea of building, that idea of, of hardships, all, all those things, you're building, all those things are happening here. We see a very interesting situation. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, and stubble, their work will be shown for what it is, Okay? Show them for what it is. Because the day. Now listen, I didn't have Linda capitalize that. that. That was capitalized in scripture. The day here refers to, as we talked about in our study of Revelation, about the judgment that's going to come for Christians. Now let me finish real quick, and we'll see it in a minute in the scripture. Okay, This is not salvation. You're saved. But every Christian is going to stand before God, and they're going to give an account of what they did how they built, what they accomplished for Jesus. Every single one of us. And that's what this is, is talking about. The day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Okay, That helps us really know what this is talking about. Which judgment. Even though as, as one escaping through the flames, we are going to give an account. And you know what? What we see here is this idea of what are we building our lives on? You see that love, grace, peace, all those things are those gold and that silver and all those things. But you know what? There's a lot of stuff that's sometimes built on wood, hay, and stubble. And when it hits that fire on that judgment day, it's going to burn up. I want our lives, I want my life to be a life that basically as it's being tested by that fire, it becomes even more pure. Where does that purity come from? It comes from that love and that grace and that example that Jesus gives us as we respond to that and act accordingly. But we're going to give an account. What we accomplish and what we do for God is going to be seen. But let's continue on because we can't leave this chapter without looking at what love is. 1 Corinthians 13, after Paul has basically told us all these things, now he gives us a, 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 a very full list of what love is. I know we know it, but let's look at it again together. Love is patient, and I'll take my time. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast, because it's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, 
always perseveres. Basically, love never fails. Can I ask you a simple but a very hard question? How does your love compare to that list? Because I will not speak for you, I will only speak for me. I am woefully lacking. You see, sometimes my love is nothing like that. Is that so I can berate myself? No, it's, it's a help me to understand that I need to love better. I need to love in a more effective way. If I want to distinguish myself amongst a world of darkness, that's going to do it. That will make a difference. That is better than any mailing campaign. That's better, I'm sorry, John, you do a great job. It's better than any website. It's better than any social media stuff. That will change the world. That love. And here's what's amazing about that love to understand. That is the type of love that Jesus and God have for you and me. That's their love to you. That's how much he loves you. It'll never fail. It'll always be there. So as we conclude the message this morning, I want to look at something. I want to give us a little, very, very simple application. As we get to point three, how do I freely give love and grace tomorrow? How do I freely give grace and love tomorrow? Now, I could have said, you know, today, but you know what? I'm I'm, I'm giving you the day off. How about that? You get me? Okay. So you can prepare tomorrow. How do I do that? I'm giving you one thing. Okay, one thing that we can do today, tomorrow, but listen, listen, sometimes, listen, I'll give you four or five, sometimes three or four, I'm giving you one thing. We can do this with Christ's help. Are you ready for the one thing? Here it is. Serve people. Serve people. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Though I am free, Now let's stop there and let's understand what Paul is saying. Okay? He says, although I am free and belong to no one. We we will read that and we will skip over that. Why? Because we live in America in 2020. Slavery is not a thing that many of us deal with on a daily basis. I know it goes on in our world. I'm not belittling it. I'm just saying most of us have not experienced this. Paul understood slavery because it was alive and well at his time. And he is stating here, listen, I'm not a slave. I am not bound by anyone. No one can tell me what to do. And this is a big statement at this time. He says, although I belong to no one, although I'm not a slave to anyone, even though all those things, and I want to give you, throw it back up there for me, thank you, although I'm, a, I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul doesn't say, he, he takes it one step further. He doesn't say, I've made myself a servant. He literally uses the term slave. Why? So he could win as many as possible. You see, Paul understood something very important. Paul had a heavenly mindset that went further and greater than the things he was going to experience here on this planet. Paul knew his job was not to be served, but was to serve. I think somebody that we worship said that once. 
he understood. Why? Because he understood something that sometimes, let's be honest, we forget. This life is but a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But eternity is a long, long, long time. And sometimes we need to humble ourselves and be a servant. Let's go back to that concept of enemy. Remember, remember those enemies that we have? I want you to stop and I really want you to think about this. Don't blow this off. Think, okay? Because we all have those people. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're, your, maybe they're your, 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 somebody your boss or somebody you work with. Maybe somebody at school. Maybe it's a teacher. There's lots of people that we have these kind of, you know, stuff with. What if starting tomorrow you began to do little things to serve them? Not, 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 the, not the Christian that you know. Get what I'm saying? That you know that you have your little Bible study group on Tuesdays at work, which is great, don't misunderstand me. But the enemy. What if you began to serve them? What if it, nothing just just said, hey, I, I noticed you had a lot of work, so I, I helped in this little area. I, I don't know, I don't work where you work. I don't know, you know, hey, hey teacher, I, I noticed you had a lot going on. I did this to help. I hope it's okay. You just began to serve. You just began to love. You just began to do those things. What an impact you would begin to make. Why? Not so you could, oh, look at me, I'm a great Christian. Look at me, I'm so wonderful. No, no. So those people would begin to experience the love of God in a way that they would have to literally make a choice because they see such a difference in the way you live and the way you love and the way they live and the way they love. One of the issues with the church is we have stopped becoming such a bright light because for some reason we have thought the best way to minister to the darkness is to become darker. That's ridiculously silly. To make a difference, we need to be different. We need to be willing to be a light. When I was a little kid, if the worship team wants to come on up, one of my favorite stories, and I think it was because of the song, was the story of Zacchaeus. Remember that? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I don't think we could sing that now. It's politically incorrect, probably, but you know what I mean. Zacchaeus is a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And just as Jesus walked that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said... Zacchaeus, you rotten, dirty sinner. How could you be a tax collector? I can't believe you would do that. You turned your back on God. You turned your back on people. How dare you? How? Just so you know, Zacchaeus, hell's going to be hot. You better wear shorts. Wasn't that how the song went, right? Wasn't that how it went, right? Because remember, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. You talk about people that had enemies... The Jewish people looked at tax collectors. That was the enemy. Isn't that how the song went? What's so funny to me is I, I'll get on the internet or I'll look at Facebook posts and none of you, none of you, or I'll look at Twitter. Oh, good Lord. And you know what I find? I, I find that song. But we know the story, don't we? What's Jesus say? He says, Zacchaeus, you come down. It's always cuter when there's like a four-year-old doing it. Okay, I'm sorry, you know. 
for I'm going to come to your house today. What was Jesus doing? He was going to have lunch. He was going to spend time. You've got to remember in this culture to eat with someone was massive. It was acceptance. It was love. It was so big. Jesus basically said, I accept you right where you're at. I know you're the enemy. I know you've done things. Remember, Zacchaeus stole from people. He was a traitor. And Jesus said, let's go eat. And this is important. And I want you to get this because if we can understand this and get this, and it's the last thing on your notes, it can really revolutionize the way we deal with people. And this is what it says. Jesus connected before he corrected. Do you understand that? Jesus connected before he corrected. Now, you need to understand something here. Once again, as we kind of bring this all to a close, what do we see? We see grace, love, and truth. You see, Jesus didn't just correct, but he did correct. Jesus didn't just connect, but he did connect. But you look at the stories, the woman at the well, Zacchaeus, Matthew, the tax collector, Peter, James, and John, all these people. Jesus connects and then he corrects. If that's Jesus' model, it should be ours. And, and even more than just the idea that, hey, Jesus knows what he's doing and we should follow him. But you know what? This model worked really well. This idea that, hey, we connect with people before we correct them. But we do correct in love. We understand that concept. We're not, we're not simply truth people. We're not simply grace people. No, 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 no. We're both. We're not or people. We're both. And we have so many amazing examples in Scripture of that. And so we're going we're gonna to have our baptismal in just a minute. But before we do, can we all just take a moment and allow God to help us examine our lives? We could start with today. Can I ask you a question? How's your serve? You get what I'm saying? I'm not talking about tennis. How's your serve? How, and listen, let's get personal for just a second. How are you serving your spouse? How are you serving your children? Some of us will say, well, you know, I'm a parent. No, 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 no. How are you serving your children? Children, kids, how are you serving your parents? Grandparents. How are you serving your kids and your grandkids? How are you serving your boss or your employees or your teacher or your friends? You see, we want to distinguish ourselves. We live in a foreign land. We want to be like Daniel. We want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We want to be people that stand on God's word, stand on his truth. 
that says, this is the authority, this is the law, this is truth. But we want to do it in a way that says, you know what? But come because I love. Come because I'll serve. Come because I want you to experience who Christ is because I truly understand the best way people are going to know that is by the way we love one another. How do we love one another? At least from this message, we serve one another. So will you, will you come and be a part and, 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 and allow God right now through his Holy Spirit to just begin to speak to you about how you can serve better? how you can love better, how maybe, maybe, maybe on the other side, maybe, maybe you're, you're, a, you're a real good love grace person, but you don't stand for God's truth. And you need to say, you know what, God? First of all, I need to know what that truth is. I need to, to spend time experiencing and learning what that truth is. But then I need to be willing to stand up and say, this is what I believe. This is what God has said. This is the standard. And in that way, distinguish ourselves. Because God is calling us to be distinguishable from those that don't know him so that we can serve and make a difference in their lives. But we got to let God do it. Because we can't do it on our own. So here's what we're going to do. John and the worship team is here. And they're going to lead us in a closing song. And here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that during this time that you just begin to, to allow God to, to speak to you. you. You allow the Holy Spirit to really illuminate things in you. Okay? And then when you feel like that has happened and you're good, then, then I would invite you, please, stand up and join the team in worship, okay? After that, we're going to come back and we're going to have a, a, a celebration of a baptism, and then we'll go, okay? But let's not miss this moment and allow God to speak to us about whatever God wants to do. Let's be a people Let's be a people that stands for God's truth and freely gives his grace and love. Thank you, Father. Father, we love you, and I ask now that you would open our hearts and speak to us, Father. Show us and help us. We love you. In Jesus' name.
Thank you, God. Father, thank you for being a light in the darkness for us so that we could be a light in our world. You're so good. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, can you all be seated? There it is, okay. I'll be honest, I've said this before. This is, this is one of my absolute favorite things to do. Um, I'm a visual person, and so I love the visual aspect of this. Um, I see baptism as, as a, such a special thing because it's such a visual representation of what Christ did for us. It, we were dead and now we're alive. We were lost, and now we're found. And the thing about baptism is you, you start one way out of the water, and once you go under and come back, you are, you are a different-looking person, 
And when we have given our lives to Jesus, we are a different person from the inside out. So we're not saved from baptism. It's simply an example to those that are here of what Christ has done in us. And so we have... um, I am going to make it through this. I'm sorry. We have one individual that's getting baptized today. Easton, are you ready, buddy? Okay, come on. Oh, come the other way, bud. Other way. Oh, that'll work. That'll work. Yeah, go ahead. Whatever. Yeah, the other way. Careful. boy. I know most of you know this, but this is my son. why you want to get baptized today? Because I want to follow Jesus. You want to follow Jesus. Hey, I'm proud of you, and I love you so much, and it's such an exciting thing for me to be able to do this, okay? I don't tell anybody, but this may be my very favorite baptism of all time, okay? But don't tell anybody. We won't, we won't want them to feel bad, okay? okay? I love you, and I'm proud of you, and the little boy that you are. You have definitely blessed mom and dad, and we love you very much. You ready? Okay. Easton, go ahead. Attaboy. Because you have loved Jesus, because you've accepted Jesus into your heart, and because you desire to show an outward expression of an inward work. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I didn't uh, lose it too much. (laughs) Listen, I love you. Thank you for for being here this morning. Thank you for sharing this moment. And um, I hope you have a great week. For those that are online, hey, we love you. We miss you. We hope you're doing well, too. If you need anything, please don't hesitate. Get a hold of us. We're 
we want to be there in, in, in whatever way that you need. And for all of us that are here this morning, I love you. I hope you have a great week. We're going to pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you and we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this service, but we also thank you for this baptismal time. Father, it is, it is an amazing moment to celebrate. And Father, I thank you for each person that was here to experience this moment of celebration, this, this moment to signify what you do in the life of people. You change us from the inside out. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I hope you have a wonderful week. I love you all so much. We'll talk to you soon.